Thank you. Hey, so the the Buckeyes looked a lot better this week. <laughs> Guys, don't talk about the Cavs right now. But... Hey, so we're, we're kicking off a new series. Uh, if you remember a few weeks ago, we, uh, we had you guys vote on your favorite psalm. Remember, you texted in your, your favorite psalm, and we took all of the results, and we narrowed them down to the top five psalms. And so over the next five weeks, we are going to be looking at your favorite psalms. And this week, we are looking at Psalm 139, which just so happens to be uh, one of my favorite psalms. I don't know if I can narrow it down to my very favorite, but it's, it's definitely up there for me. But before we look at 139... I just want to uh, just look at a couple things about what the Psalms are. And, and the Psalms, it's a book in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. And one thing I learned in Sunday school, it's, it's one of the things that always stuck with me. So if you think your kids aren't learning anything in Sunday school, this was a fact that I learned in Sunday school. If you open up the middle of your Bible, uh, it's the book of Psalms. Most of the time, unless you have like huge maps or something in the back. But most of the time, if you open up to the middle, very middle of your Bible, it's the book of Psalms. And, and the Psalms, they're a collection of songs. These were songs. Actually, the, the word psalm means, means music. And these were songs. These were worship songs for the people of God. You know, in, in our church, we don't have these. But do you remember the old hymnals that you would have in more tradition? This, this, these were their hymnals. It was a book of all of their, of their worship songs. And there, uh, there's 150 of them. And they are written over the span of about 1,000 years. Um, so if you think we're not introducing a new, enough new songs now, think about a thousand years having the same songs. Uh, but there, they were worship songs, and they were really there was two kinds of psalms. There were some that we would call psalms of praise, and these are all about, you know, God, you're awesome, we celebrate who you are, we praise you, we give you thanksgiving. And then there were also songs of lament, and lament's not a word that we use a lot in our culture, but really the, the psalms of lament were, were essentially things like, oh no, things aren't going very well. I have questions, I have, I have doubts, I have things that are, you know, I'm, I'm wrestling with this, this you know, physical battle that I'm in, and I need you, God. And, and I love that the, the, the book of Psalms, they highlight both of those realities, because isn't that true in our lives? It's not all, you know, the just mountaintop. We're all celebrating. Like sometimes we need songs to say, God, come on. I need your help. I need you here. And, and, and just, you know, as the pastor that oversees uh, worship in, in the church, I, I want our worship to, to, to demonstrate that as well. Like I want to give us songs that we can come in and celebrate to. But I also want to have songs that we can come in and say, God, I really need you right now. So we, we think really carefully as a worship community trying to have both of those realities represented in the songs that we sing. But one thing that I think is very important that we understand about the book of Psalms and is very important is 
there is a very specific way that you need to read the Psalms. There's a very specific way, and here's what I mean. When you sit down to read the Bible, in fact, when you sit down to read anything, you have to ask yourself the question, what am I reading? What am I reading? And this is very important because depending on the the literary genre that you're reading, you're going to collect the information, understand what is written on the page differently. You're going to interpret it differently. And we, we know this. Sometimes we do this subconsciously, but we do this. Like we understand that if we're going to read a science textbook, we're going to read that differently than, than you know, Taylor Swift lyrics, right? And we're going to read that differently than we would read an instruction manual for your Ikea, you know, coffee table, And you're going to read that differently than you would read, you know, the newspaper. And you'd read that differently than, you know, your uncle's post on Facebook. Like, we, we understand that we interpret what we're reading differently based off the genre that it is. And so the Psalms, we need to remember, this is poetry, And so we need to read it like it's poetry. They're lyrics to to songs. And in in a song or poetry, you have analogies, you have similes, you have lots of symbolism, you have all of these poetic devices. And, And we need to make sure that we understand that. And this is really important because we need to understand that we don't necessarily read the book of Psalms literally. Let me give you an example before you, before you call me a heretic. So if we hear the, the, a, a song, let's say the song, You Are the Wind Beneath My Wings, right? We understand that the person writing that song is not a bird, and they don't have wings. And we understand that they're not talking to the actual wind. This is a poetic device. It's symbolism where we understand, oh, they're communicating something uh, from their heart, right? And this is really, really important. We need, to, we need to read the Psalms the same way. But let me, like, oftentimes people will ask me, uh, no, do, you, do you read the Bible literally or do you read it figuratively? And the answer is yes. I do both. There are parts of the Bible, the historical books, like let me give you an example. The Gospels, which are the eyewitness accounts to Jesus Christ, we read those literally because it's a historical narrative. That's the genre that that it was written in. So when it says that Jesus rose from the dead, we don't think, well, that sounds poetic. I wonder what that means. I wonder what the symbolism is. No, we say Jesus rose from the dead. That's a historical fact that was written down. But the Psalms, we can understand this is poetic. This is poetic. And just because it's poetic doesn't mean it's untrue. Okay? This is really important. Just because it's poetic doesn't mean it's untrue. Sometimes it means it's even more true. Sometimes things are so powerful that you can't, you can't, Describe it or convey it just by listing facts. Let me, let me tell you why. If I was going to go to my wife and tell her, uh, Laura, your face is very symmetrical. Um, you have very nice eyes. And that pleases me. 
That, that wouldn't convey what I'm trying to communicate to her, would it? Right? No, but if I go to my wife and I say, sweetheart, you know, I could, I could stare at your face for the rest of my life and I would never get tired of your beauty. And I would be in awe every moment that I get to be with someone as beautiful as you. Now, is that literally true? Of course not. I have to sleep. I have to do things. I can't stare at anything for the rest of my life. But does it communicate what's in my heart? Yes. It actually communicates what's in my heart more than just listing the facts, right? So poetic language is very important. And I love that we have a God that just doesn't give us an instruction manual. But he gives us poetry, to communicate things that, that need to be communicated with, with, with poetry. I think it's beautiful. So we're going to be looking at Psalm 139. And, and really, let me, just, let me just say this right off the bat. We're not going to be looking at the whole book, or the whole chapter, sorry. Because uh, really, the last maybe quarter of it, it goes off in a different direction, which is really interesting, and I encourage you to read it on your own, but I just do not have time to get into it, unless you guys have an extra hour or so. You guys cool with that? No, you guys read it on your own. But we're going to be looking at 139, uh, but before we just jump in, uh, let, let's just pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a creative God. We thank you for uh, just a sweet time with you in worship. And Lord, even before we even move on to anything else, Lord, we want to just lift up the, any of the victims or the families in Pittsburgh that were you know, involved in that horrible event. And Lord, we ask for your justice and your mercy. We just ask that you would be with them and you would be here with us. In your name, amen. All right, so Psalm 139. Remember, open up to the center of your Bible, or we will have it right up here on the, on the screens. It was written by David. We don't have a lot of historical backgrounds on when it was written or what David was going through when he wrote it. But one thing that I found interesting is most um, poetry experts would say that this is, it's, it's considered maybe the most beautiful psalm in the Bible. And I don't, I don't disagree with that. I, I think it's really beautiful. So why don't we just jump in and read it? It says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. 
If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb and I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And how precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Where I, were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I awake, I am still with you. I love it. It's beautiful. All right, so I want, I want to give you guys a number. And the number is 7 billion... 659,165,000. Does anyone know what that number is? Say it loud. What is it? 7,659,165,000. Yep. It's all of the people on planet Earth, give or take a couple. And you know that number keeps on growing. There's more people being born than are dying. That number gets bigger and bigger every day. That's, that's a huge number, seven and a half billion people. And here's the crazy thing. God knows every single one of them. God knows every single one of those seven and a half billion people. That's crazy. That's amazing. To me, that's like awe-inspiring. Like, I can't fathom that kind of wisdom and knowledge. It blows my mind. But here's what blows my mind even more, that powerful God that has that kind of power and capability really knows me. And he knows you. God knows you. Think about that. That's the first point. He knows you. God knows you. You know, there are seven and a half billion people on planet and the earth, but he knows you. And you have his undivided attention. Do you know that? His eyes are fully on you. You don't have one seven billionth of his attention. You have his full attention. Always. And this is true for each and every one of us. That is so beautiful and amazing. I love it. You searched me, Lord. You know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. He knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows where you go. He knows what you say. He knows what you do. He knows what you think. He knows you on a molecular level. He knows all, every single atom in your body. He knows every hair on your head. 
And here's the thing. He doesn't just know a lot of facts about you, but he knows you intimately. He knows you intimately. And here's, here's what I mean by that. You know, if a person ever comes to me and they call me Jonathan, I know that they don't know me. They might know things about me. They might know, like, my credit score or something like that, but they don't know me, right? There's no intimacy there because no, no one who knows me calls me Jonathan. But if someone calls me JT, maybe they give me a hug and say, hey, JT, I know there's a deeper level of intimacy with this person, right? They know, they, they know me maybe a little bit more personally, but if I was sitting down and someone crawled up on my lap and started rubbing my face and they said, Daddy, your beard is spiky. <laughs> I know that that person has even a deeper level of intimacy with me. That's my little girl. And then even more so with my wife. But there are levels of intimacy that we have with different people. And God knows you more intimately than anyone else in the world. He knows every single aspect. And when we say intimacy, what we mean is the ability to, to let someone see inside of you. To see what's really going on. Your deepest thoughts, your, your fears, your dreams. Uh, I, I remember hearing, when you see the word intimacy, think, into me see. That God sees everything about you, all of your cares, all of your worries. And psychologists will say one of our, our deepest, uh, deepest desires, one of our deepest needs that we have as human beings is to really be known. Is to really be known. But here's where it gets tricky. The idea of intimacy is hard. Why is it so hard? It's hard because the more people see inside of us, the more they see that we're, we're messed up. We have things that we hide from people. We have, we have thoughts that we're ashamed of. We have, we have things that we've done in our past that we don't want anyone to know about. We have these judgments on people. We have these secret, secret things in our heart that we feel like, oh, if they knew that, they wouldn't love me. And the fear is the closer people get to you, the more likely that they'll judge you or they'll you know, reject you or they'll, they'll leave you. But here's what's beautiful. God knows every single thing that you've ever done. He knows every thought you've ever had. And he loves you unconditionally. He doesn't reject you. He says he never forsakes you. Man, if that, if that doesn't like capture your heart, I don't know what will. That we have a God that knows you at your worst, but still like you are the apple of his eye. And I, I don't want to move on from this too fast. Because I think many of us, we really need to hear this right now. That you need to know that God sees you, God knows you, and he loves you. Maybe, maybe you're married, maybe you're single. 
Maybe you have walls built up in your life for you. You're impenetrable. No one can get close to you, and you feel alone. But God sees you, he knows you, and he loves you. Maybe you haven't built walls. Maybe you, you have these desires. I want to be known, but I feel invisible. I feel like no one cares about me. No one sees about me. But I want you to know that God sees you God knows you, and God loves you. You are not invisible to him. You have his full attention, and he looks at you with such love and such honor and dignity. He knows you. And the reason he knows you is because he made you. Right? That's, that's point number two. God made you. God made you. Not only does he know you, but he made you. And he listen, he made you on purpose for a purpose. He was very intentional when he made you. You are not an accident. You are not random, you know, space dust. You were made on purpose for a purpose. You're not an accident. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God knit you together. He put you together, and he put you together on purpose. He has plans for you. He, has, he, he just is so excited about how he made you. He knew what he was doing when he made you. And the Bible communicates this over and over again, this idea of us having the, a purpose, of us ha- being made for a reason and having things laid out for us. You know, this is, this is so important to us at a church that this is in our mission statement. Part of our mission statement is we want to help people connect to their purpose because we believe every single person has a purpose from God. Every single person was made on purpose for a purpose. I love Ephesians chapter two. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That he has good things planned for us. That before we were even born, he was like, oh, I have really good things for Joe. I have really good things for Pam. I have really good things for you. And I love that that word, workmanship, you know that actually means masterpiece. That you are God's masterpiece. That you're, you're hanging on the fridge. He's proud of you. He pr- he's proud of you. He looks at you and says, yes, this is very good. And listen, I'm not trying to just give you a feel-good marshmallow message. You know, if I just wanted you to feel good, I would tell you something like, you can, if you can dream it, you can achieve it. 
You can do anything you put your mind to, but those things aren't true. It's not true. You can't. You can't do anything. You can do what God made you for. You should do what God made you for. You can't do it. Let me, let me explain to you why I know this to be true. Many of you guys know I'm a very big Cavs fan, right? And I go to lots of games. I love going to games. I took my, my little daughter, Olive, to her first game uh, last week, and she had a blast. And still, you know, I am 36 years old, and still when I walk into the arena, I, I start daydreaming. Like, oh man, maybe they'll ask me to go out on the court and I'll hit the game winner. And maybe they're going, we need you on the team, JT. But listen, I will never play for the Cavs. I know you guys have a hard time believing that, but I won't, no matter how hard I try. No matter how much I dream about it. Partly because I have Meyer genes. We're not great basketball players. But partly because that's not what God made me for. God made me for a purpose and on purpose for that purpose. And the same goes for you. We need to communicate that to our hearts. We need to communicate that to our kids to not say you can do whatever you want. We need to communicate God made you on purpose. And he has things for you. And let's help you discover what those things are. It's, man, think about that. God made you on purpose. And it's not to play for the calves. He has a plan for your life. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. He has a plan. He has a plan. And that's why we believe every single person on planet Earth has value. No matter their religion, no matter their race, no matter their age, no matter their you know, economic background, no matter their lifestyle. We may disagree with almost everything that they do, but we know that God made them on purpose for a purpose. And so they have value. And we treat them with value. We don't get to decide who has value and who doesn't, because all people have value. I have a, uh, these friends, uh, they're an amazing couple, and a number of years ago, they got pregnant, it was their, their first kid, they got pregnant with a little girl, they're so excited, and <clears throat> uh, during the pregnancy, they went to the doctor for an ultrasound and did to some tests, and the, the doctor said, hey, I have, I have bad news, um, your, your daughter, uh, has Down syndrome, and uh, you know I, I would really suggest that you really consider terminating this pregnancy. Um, it's it's just it is going to be a very uh, low quality of life for for all of you, and it's just going to be very difficult. And and my friends. They refused. They went along with the pregnancy, and at every ultrasound, the doctor would say, hey, I just, and he was kind. He wasn't mean, he was kind. He would say, listen, I'm, I'm just concerned for you and your family, and, and, and I really want you to consider terminating this pregnancy. And they began to dread going to the doctor. 
And they ended up having their little girl, and she is beautiful and sweet, by the way. She's, she's, she's amazing. And as she grew up, uh, my friends, they, they made friends with another family who had a little boy with Down syndrome. And they were in class together, and they were, be, they were, they were becoming friends. And, and they began, the families, to discuss their experiences and, and share life together. And they, they were discussing their experience with their doctors. And my friends found out that the, the, the other family, their experience was much, much different. That when they would go to the doctor, their doctor would say, he's perfect. Every, every ultrasound, he's perfect. And then when they found out that he had Down syndrome, the doctor said, he's perfect. And, and my, the, 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 the family said, but, but doesn't he have Down syndrome? They said, yes, he does, and he is perfect. My friends ended up writing a letter to their, their doctor. It wasn't an angry letter. Um, but they basically were just challenging him to, to see every life as beautiful, to see every life as, as something of value, that every single life is a miracle. And that the doctor and, and you and me, we don't have the authority to sit on a throne of judgment and determine what has value and what doesn't. Even if that life is inconvenient, even if that life uh, will be difficult, that it should still cause us to be in awe and wonder of a marvelous God who can create life. And my friends would say, yeah, they, that things have been hard. There are things that have been very, very difficult. There have been nights where they would cry, they would have things that would happen that would really be challenging, but they would say their little daughter is a miracle. And their little daughter, they wouldn't trade anything for her. Because she was created for a purpose on purpose. We believe that every life was, was made on purpose for a purpose. That's why, guys, we are a pro-life church. That's why we're a pro-life church. And, and, I, and I, we, we do not shy away from that. We are pro-life because we think that every life has value. But let me just say, we are not just pro-life when it comes to the issue of abortion. We continue to be pro-life once that, you know, that young single mom has the baby and doesn't know what to do and needs food and needs, you know, needs resources. We are still pro-life then. We're still pro-life when it comes to, to the refugees who are fleeing their country not knowing where to go. We say their, their lives have value. We can't just turn away and say, well, not those people. Americans have more value. All lives to God were created on purpose for a purpose, and they have value, and we do not get to sit on a throne of judgment. We are pro-life because God is pro-life. 
He's created all lives on purpose. And so here's, here's my last point. Not only did God make you, not only does God know you, but God wants you. God really wants you. He really just desires to have you close to him. He wants relationship with you. Do you know that that is why he made you? He made you primarily to be in relationship with him. Billy Graham says it this way. He said, God created us for one reason, to know him and love him and have fellowship with him. Someday in heaven, I'll tell Billy that that's three things. <laughs> that's why he made us, to be in relationship with him. God is calling you today into deeper relationship with him. Man, God, he doesn't just, desire, he doesn't just know you, but he wants you to know him. Man, and if I could say, this probably changes day to day, but if I could tell you right now, my, the thing that just I love most about God is the fact that our God is knowable. That God wants to be known. He doesn't hide from us. He's, he's, he's like the hound of heaven. He's, he's, he's chasing after the saying, come to me, come to me. I want you to be in relationship with you. He wants you so badly that he came to earth, took, 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 the, took flesh on, came to earth, lived a life of sorrow and hardship and, and died a criminal's brutal death of torture, hanging naked on a cross because he wants relationship with you. More than anything, that's his mission, to restore humanity, to restore the world back to himself. And here's the thing, we, we, we have a deep desire in our hearts that some of us are just unaware of, to, to get that, that, that relationship with God. We try to fill it with all kinds of things. And it's ne it never really quite fills up. Some, and sometimes we fill it with like bad stuff, like you know, drugs and, and stuff like that. But sometimes we fill it with good things, like family and 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 church and all of these things. But but really, the only thing that can fill that is God, because that's what we're created for—to be in relationship with Him. And we also have these desires, these desires to, to really know who we are. The, again, the psychology, psychology community will talk about these core longings that we have, and, 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 and it's to know who you are and to know what you're supposed to do. There's other ones, too, like we want to be safe and we want all these things that really only God can provide. But two of the most fundamental longings that we have as human beings is, is to know yourself and to know, you know what you were made for, what your purpose is. And in order to know who you are and what you were made for, you have to go to the one who made you. Right? Personality tests are great. I love them. 
but they only can tell you certain things about who you are. You know how you can find out the most about who you are? Go to the one who made you. You really can't fully discover who you are without God. And the reason that he knows you is because he made you. I have a friend, uh, Matt Blake. He comes to church here. He, he plays bass on, on the worship band a lot of times. And he builds guitars from scratch. He'll get a piece of wood. He'll start carving the piece of wood out. He'll get all these pieces. He doesn't get like a guitar kit. He builds them from scratch. And he makes beautiful guitars. They're They're amazing. And if you were to ask me more questions about his guitars, I could tell you, well, they're, they're green <laughs> or they're you know, brown. I could tell you facts about them, but if you want to know, you know details about the guitars, you have to go to the one who made them, and that's Matt. Matt can tell you everything about that guitar. He can tell you the piece of wood it came from. How there was this knot in it that he had to sand out. There was this, you know, he had to, he could tell you everything about it because he made it. And the same thing goes for you. God can tell you everything about you because he made you. He knows everything because he made everything. He is the origin of all things. Our focus needs to be on him. And, and, I, and I know, don't you find sometimes my focus can be more on the things of God than on God himself? For me, and actually a lot of people that I talk to, our focus is on God's plan for our life. Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? You know, am I on the path? You know, what does God have for me? What, you know, what am I supposed to be doing with my life? And, and it becomes this thing of anxiety in our lives often, or it becomes our, our focus. We were in staff meeting this week, and uh, we were talking, and Mary Jo was talking about a, uh, who's our children's pastor, she was talking about a situation that she's going through with, with uh, her extended family and just how it's been really hard and they don't know what to do in this situation. And she felt like the Lord spoke to her and said, said, Mary Jo, it's my presence, not my plan that you need. And that kind of like everybody in staff meeting was like, all right, let's stop for a second. <laughs> it's my presence, not my plan that you need. And the secret is, it's in his presence that we find the plan. It's in his presence that we find out who we are and what we are made for. I remember the Lord spoke to me about this a few years back, actually through this very psalm. And, you know, I was in one of those stages where I was like, God, am I doing what you want me to do? Like, what do you, what's, what do you have for me in the future? Just asking all these questions. And I, and I felt led to Psalm 139, and specifically where it says, you hem me behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. It says, all these places go, it says, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. I felt like the Lord said, if you focus on me, if you stay close to me, I'm going to lead you on, on your path. 
You know, we think of it like this pencil-thin line. We're like, where is it? Where is it? Am I on the path? He's like, stay close to me. I'm, I'm going to hold you. I'm going to guide you. You don't have to worry about my plan. Just focus on me. Because if you focus on my plans, you're going to miss me. And you're going to miss your plan. But if you focus on me, you're going to get both. And he, and he kind of gave me this picture of, of, of my little girl, Olive, when I take her to, to the park. You know, now she's a little older, so, so I don't have to stay as close to her. I can kind of sit back and watch. But when, when she was little, I would take her to the park, and I would stay really close to her. And I, like one of the phrases I would always say is, Olive, stay close to Daddy. Stay close, sweetheart. And I would say, oh, no, don't go over there. You know, the big kids are playing over there. You're going to get knocked over. Or, you know, don't climb that. You're not big enough yet. Or, or stay away from the broken glass. But I would keep her safe. For the most part, I just would let her play and I would stay close. But, but I would keep her safe from danger. And I would make sure. I would say, hey, baby, we're going to go have lunch now. Come on, we're going to go this way. And I felt like God was saying, that's how life is. For the most part, my plan for your life is for you to play. For you to go, you know, make decisions and, 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 and say, I want to go on the slide. Cool, I'll be right with you. Oh, you want to go to the monkey bars? I'll be right with you. But if you're going to go somewhere I don't want you to go, I'll guide you. And if there's somewhere specific I want you to go, I'm going to call you. And all you have to do is stay close to my voice and listen. Keep your eyes on me. And I remember him saying this phrase to me that I wrote down. And I, I, I read it over and over again. I wrote it in my journal. And it says, if you want to know my plan for your life, stop looking for my plan and start seeking my face. If you want to know your plan, if you want to know what God has for you, your purpose, if you want to know uh, why you're here on earth, seek his face. Seek his face. And, and I just want to end with a thought. You know, I kind, I, I kind of want to reclaim this psalm. This psalm, there's a lot of verses that are like, you know, famous bookmark verses or that you'll find on coffee mugs or uh, on bumper stickers or on, you know, a framed piece of artwork. And actually, I got to admit, I have some of those. Um, and there's nothing wrong with those. Those are great. But I think the problem is, is I think we've misinterpreted some of the famous verses in here. And, and, and specifically, uh, verse 13 where it says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I think we have misunderstood um, what that is all about. Like we've looked at that as being like kind of a self-help thing. Like it's gonna make us feel better about ourselves. And we said, I'm fearfully, wonderfully made. I shouldn't have body images. Or I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, so I should have higher self-esteem. And while those things are partly true, I think they're missing the point of what this verse is actually about. Um, I, let me read this quote by Jen Wilkins. She says it better than me. 
She says, we think this is supposed to be a verse that solves our problems with body images and feelings of insignificance, but after we read it, we still struggle with those things. And that is because the intent of this psalm is not to make much of me, but to make much of God. This verse, this psalm, is it should make us in complete awe of our maker, of the one who created everything. This is really about God and not necessarily about us. It's about how amazing he is, that God knows every single detail about every single human being, that God created the human body, all of, the, all of the systems in our bodies, our lungs, our heart, you know, our skeleton. He created the human brain, which is like you know, the greatest piece of you know, technology in, in the world. He, he created it. He keeps it together. He understands it. Man, we, we are wonderfully made. We have a, we have a creator who is brilliant, is so other than what we are, and that is awe-inspiring. That should, that should completely make us look at him and be like, wow, you are amazing. And in turn, we can say, because you are amazing and you make all things good, you made me. And so, yeah, so then, so then I'm good. But we don't start there. <laughs> We don't read the verse and say, oh, this is saying that I'm good. This is saying that he is good. He makes lots of great things. And if we really fully understand that, then we can start really understanding that we are good because we have a good maker. But we have to start with the goodness of God. The, just the, the amazingness of him, the, that he is unlike anything else in the world. He is amazing, isn't he? He, he is just amazing. And here's what blows my mind. That amazing God wants a relationship with you. He's calling you into deep, intimate relationship with him. He wants to call you son, daughter. He wants to call you his friend. He wants you to be able to climb up on his lap, be wrapped in his arms. No matter where you're at this morning, no matter where you're at, no matter what you did last night, he loves you, he's for you. And he's calling you to take a step closer to him, to fix your, your eyes on him. Why don't we do this? Why don't we bow our heads? And I think God is calling all of us to step closer to him. To redirect our focus and to, you know, to press in to him. But I think there are some of us here who've never, um, who've never done that. We may have been going to church for a long time but we've never really entered into a relationship with God where we say, yeah, God, I want you to know me and I want to know you. 
And I just want to give you an opportunity this morning to say yes to that relationship. So I'm, I'm just going to say a really simple prayer. And if you want to say yes for the first time to, to being in that relationship, I just want you to pray with me. And you can make my words your words. So Jesus, I am, uh, God, I am in awe of you. You are amazing. And I'm thankful that you know me and that you love me. And I want to get to know you. I want to start a relationship with you today. And I don't, I don't know all the implications that that means, but I want to start a relationship with you today. If you said that prayer with me, can you raise your hand with our, well, all our heads bowed? Yeah. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you guys. Bless you. Just raise your hand. Anyone else? Bless you. Bless you. That's awesome. 